Welcome to the Holding Time Podcast. Here we discuss breastfeeding in all its complexity, the ups and downs, the challenges, the triumphs. Whether you're expectant, a new mother or simply interested, I hope you'll appreciate the incredible warrior women who are featured in this series. I suppose it's one of those, if you have any normal breastfeeding issues, it's just doubly difficult. So if you have one and tie, then or two with a tongue tie, or one who's refluxy, or one who has allergies, you know, but I've, I've been very lucky. Both of them have been pretty good feeders. So, and I've breastfed my, I've got two older girls as well, who are six and three now, and I breastfed both of them, and breastfed them for quite a long time. So, I think I've got quite a good supply <laughs> set up, if that makes sense. And it makes a big difference knowing what a good breastfeed feels like. Uh, don't, you can't, you, you have to learn that. You can't really read about that and you can't really guess it. it it's quite, it, it's a learned skill. And I think breastfeeding in general, I think people underestimate how much it is actually a learned skill. I think we're sort of sold an idea that it's this beautiful, natural instinctive thing that you do from day one and and it isn't it's a skill it's a skill for you to learn and for a brand new baby to learn as well you know so so yeah having done it before I felt I also went into it with quite a lot of confidence because I knew I'd breastfed successfully before and, and so I knew I could and and I think I would probably have had a rough idea of what the problem would be if there was a problem. So my eldest had really bad silent reflux. And that was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it didn't affect the feeding too much, although she fed a lot because of it. It did affect the sleep. She didn't sleep at all. So also silent reflux. Reflux is where babies throw up a lot. So they throw up after every feed. And they can either be like happy sickers, I think they call them. So they just throw up a lot. and They're not bothered and you just keep feeding them and it's fine. Or you get ones that aren't very happy because being sick a lot hurts. So I think it depends on where they're sick from, if that makes sense. If they're sick and it's just a bit of like positing, it's just a bit of milk. If it's from further down, it's a bit more acidic. Silent reflux is where they're they're not sick. So it rises and it doesn't come out. So it kind of, it almost, it really hurts their throat, basically. You get like like a double burn of uric acid going up. It's really horrible. So they just have like sort of a chronic sore throat. So they're just very sad babies. So we didn't get a lot of support, I would say, to start with, because I think because it was off. And this is where the confidence comes in, doesn't it? Because it was our first baby. A lot of the people I spoke to, particularly our health visitor, wasn't particularly helpful, sort of said, you've not had a baby before, have you? You do know that they do cry. It's quite normal that they do cry. And I remember thinking, do they this much and all the time and never sleep? and I just don't think anyone really took it seriously because she wasn't being sick and she wasn't ill there's nothing wrong with her she's putting on weight and stuff and that's kind of the main things they look for which is fair enough but when you're um, not getting any sleep at all it's not very helpful so we just kind of half figured it out through internet research it was about when she was about four months when I thought now this isn't colic she's not grown out of anything here and it's getting worse and so then I went to a different health visitor who was, used to go along to one of the breastfeeding groups who was really helpful. And then we went to the doctor and they basically gave us some antacid for her. And it went in about three days. And she was this completely different child. And I was like, oh, 
she'd been suffering all that time and it was really weird because it was because it basically burns the throat within about three days it obviously started to heal and her voice was different you know this the noises she was making and you suddenly think you were really hoarse before but we didn't know because we didn't know what your actual voice (laughs) sounded like and I remember to start off because everyone says it's just colic it's just colic and I thought right I was trying to be very um, practical. I thought, right, well, if it is colic and you're just upset and there's nothing wrong, then my job is just to try and soothe you. And if it doesn't work, just hold you. And, and breastfeeding was a big part of that, of soothing her. Of, and it didn't always work. And sometimes nothing worked. But for me, it was a, it was a big part of, of that, really. So I think that's why I stuck with it, because it was the one thing that did did work. The, the practical juggling of having two babies and having two older children as well, that's the difficult aspect of it. But breastfeeding-wise, I haven't found that particularly difficult with the two of them. I do think it's a massive benefit that I've fed the other two uh, and that I was going into it as an experienced breastfeeder. You know, I was I was very relaxed about it. I would feed them tandem feed them feed them separately feed whenever they moved <laughs> you know I would just that was was my solution for everything just feed them I always fed in public so that I didn't have that hurdle to overcome and I think for me and I don't know because I've never bottle fed a baby I, I think breastfeeding if you crack it is easier it's very very convenient you can whip them out wherever and I think the logistics of bottle feeding twins is blows my mind I don't know how people do it because you can't you can tandem feed when you're breastfeeding, you can't tandem feed babies if you're bottle feeding them because where do you put them? <laughs> it's, it's impossible. So in some ways, I think breastfeeding actually really helps the twins. When you have your first baby, you are a brand new parent and they are a brand new human being. And it's going to be a bit messy until you get to know each other and you will get to know each other and you will be confident and it will come and it, it does come. Part of it as well is finding a community. I think that's one of the best things you can do. Like for me, it was anyway. I'm not the sort of person who likes to sit in the house. I like to get out and be active and do things. And I think finding a community, finding other people, whether it's online or in person, um, and talking to other people, because I think that's what you need as a new mother. You need to know that... Um, it is a bit hard and you are tired and it is a bit messy and other people are experiencing the same thing so it's quite normal and that's okay it's almost for like um sort of letting go letting go of a lot of expectations as well just sort of let the let the process happen let yourself learn how to be a mother but I just think it would be really good to as part of like the midwife and health visitor antenatal package to actually go to a breastfeeding group because most breastfeeding mothers will be quite happy to have pregnant women there and at least you get to see it you get to be involved in the discussion where you've got mothers of brand new babies or slightly older babies who are talking about the issues that they're encountering because then you know about them a little bit before I remember I mean I remember with Emily when we got home from the hospital she was a couple of weeks early and it was a very quick birth it was all very shocking we got the first night home from the hospital 
she started feeding at about midday and she didn't stop until 4 a.m. And I'd no one in, I, and I'd done NCT, I'd done the NHS classes, no one had ever mentioned cluster feeding. And I thought she was broken. I thought I didn't have any milk. I was, thought she was starving. And I was going half mad with like, what's going, what's going on? Getting people's expectations of what those couple of weeks will be like. And, and it's very hard to go against, you know, the sort of Instagram media, whatever bubble that you see of as an expectation for mothers to be back in shape, back on their feet and out and about. And you know, it's very difficult to sort of go, go against that, particularly if people have had a, you know, if someone's had a traumatic birth or a C-section as well, and, and knowing that a C-section will impact on feeding, if anything, just because of pain and, you know, recovering from surgery. And But then again, when I had the twins and when I had Evie, my middle daughter, I knew about cluster feeding and I thought, brilliant, I'm going to get loads of food. I'm going to put the feet up and I'm going to watch the telly. <laughs> and... and Having that approach to it rather than the first time having never heard of it and thinking my baby was starving, that's a totally different experience. The other thing that I've actually I found really helpful, I do think there's more in terms of, you know, face-to-face, more that could be done. I have found with all, all my children really good online support. So on the Wirral, there's a really good Wirral Breastfeeding Mothers Facebook group. There's lots of very, very experienced mothers on there. So anything that's posted on there, People post answers pretty much straight away. It's really, really helpful. And it's really, I remember particularly Emily just reading other people's experiences on there. And you think, oh, right, that's normal. That's fine. And that, that was really, really handy. This time round, I found a really good national Facebook group, which is called Breastfeeding Twins and Triplets. And these are things that have kind of grown organically, probably from a lack of standard antenatal or post and postnatal support. But both of those have been really invaluable resources having children and giving birth it's not that it's looked down upon but it's not celebrated as much of an achievement but it is you know however it happens you know it's it's life-changing it you know it, it really is and and that can have very positive effects and very negative effects for some people but you know storytelling is is such a big part of that and you do notice that with um like uh, mothers groups baby groups people want to tell their birth story they want to tell those stories from early on because they're kind of I don't think people always prepare you for just how traumatic in a good or bad way and life-changing it is and and I do remember after I'd had Emily because she's my first the world felt like a different place afterwards and no one really prepares you for that it's it's very much like yeah, have a baby. Go back to normal. It'll fit in with your life. It's fine. But you suddenly have that feeling of the whole world is different now and this big thing has happened and no one really values that <laughs> or talks about it. And yeah, there's not, there's not very much debriefing after birth. I think that's, that's probably it. There's a big, there's a big, from a public health point of view, there's a big gap in debriefing women whether it's good or bad you know I know it's available if people have really traumatic births you can request that kind of thing again should be part of the loop with antenatal education I think it's sometimes overlooked that birth and motherhood and and breastfeeding you know they're quite 
feminist actions I think they're undervalued you know it's quite an amazing thing that we're able to do and it's kind of brushed off a little bit you know Thanks for listening and thanks to everyone involved our funders Cheshire and Merseyside Women's Health and Maternity Programme Arts Council England Lottery Awards for their support along with all the amazing mothers and partners who have helped to make this project happen. You can find out more about the project by visiting holdingtime.org.